So you know if God has prepared a city, known as heaven, known as paradise, known as my father's house, known as the third heaven, known as the new Jerusalem, it has to be spectacular. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, made ready. So the finishing touches, somehow there's going to be a final preparation as it descends out of heaven, made ready to sit on this new earth. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl has been addressing biblical prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled in his series, God's Prophetic Schedule. Today's sermon is entitled, A Biblical Tour of Heaven. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 and 2 say, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Today, via the scriptures, Pastor Carl will show us that heaven is not only a permanent, but prepared place. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. If you are new to the Bible, it's easy to find. It's the very last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been in a verse-by-verse exposition of what the scripture describes as prophecy. We're looking at God's prophetic schedule. Typically, I will do that with a book of the Bible. I'll start with a book and go through every chapter, every verse. Right now, we're doing that with various sections of the Bible. So it's not really topical, as some people describe a topical sermon. It's still exegetical, but we are focusing on a specific topic, namely God's prophetic schedule. We began this series with the rapture of the church and the rebirth of Israel. And Israel's rebirth is one of the greatest signs that God has given in Scripture. Because he said at the end of time, he would bring Israel back into the land and reestablish them as a nation. Now, I suppose God could have done that at 1000 AD, raptured the church, and then began that process of gathering Israel from across the world. But he waited nearly two millennia to do what we are witnessing today. And that's important because, again, that happens at the end of time. And so while the rapture of the church is a signless event, it could happen at any moment. The second coming that concerns and is built around the nation of Israel is a prophetically driven event. And so when you see prophecy being fulfilled for the second coming, you should be alert that the rapture is that much closer. But what's so sad today is that prophecy, which is a major theme in Scripture, is being neglected by evangelicals. Someone said to me, oh, you're almost done with this series. I'm just loving it, and I hate for you to quit. Look, you can never quit preaching on prophecy, because if you take a book of the Bible, every book in the Scripture contains prophecy as it relates to the return of Jesus. A third of the Scripture is prophetic in nature. But some pulpits sometimes are a little bit hesitant or reluctant because they don't want to be associated with charlatans and misguided zealots and certainly a number of false cults that use Bible prophecy to draw people in. But you cannot not preach the prophecy because God has called a pastor to preach the whole counsel of Scripture. And if anything, because this is a subject that is virtually ignored in our day, all the more reason to help God's people understand it. Because if you understand prophecy rightly, it will change your life. 
It's not given to make us smarter sinners. It's given to make us more like Jesus. And with virtually every single passage in the New Testament that deals with God's prophetic schedule, there's an accompanying command as to how we should live. So we don't need to go to some psychic. We don't need to go to some lady with a crystal ball to tell us what the future is. We can go to God's holy and inspired word. Listen to what God said. He said, for I am God, There is no other. I am God. There is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So God is interested in declaring his plans to us. And so you can see we are at that section in the series where we are addressing the issue of biblical tour of heaven. And I say biblical because there are so many books that have come out in the last decade or so on heaven. For instance, Colton Burbo, he's featured in the book, Heaven is for Real. Or David Taylor is the author of a book, My Trip to Heaven. Two books giving vivid descriptions of heaven, just filled, riddled with error. But sadly, most Christians today, because they don't know the Bible, can't even see the error. Then, of course, there's the book that was a bestseller, made some people, some millionaires, not just the publishers, but the authors. The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. And it's the imaginative description of a six-year-old boy who died supposedly on the operating table, though it was not true death because you are appointed to die just once and then comes the judgment. Your heart may stop, but it's not death until the spirit departs from the body. And he came back and he gave a vivid description of what he saw. And his parents through Lifeway books that has lost all integrity in terms of being a Christian publisher. In the flyleaf of that book, they write, read this book because it is a supernatural encounter that will give you new insights on heaven, angels, and hearing the voice of God. Three years ago, uh, the young man, Alex Malarkey, now 21 years of age, became a believer. And he wrote these words to Tyndale Publishers, who, again, they marketed it through Lifeway. In his letter to Lifeway Books, he wrote, Please forgive my brevity, but I have to keep this short. I did not die. I did not go to heaven. When I made the claims, I had never read the Bible. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. It is only through repentance of your sins and a belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died for your sins that you can be forgiven. We must not learn of heaven outside of what is written in the Bible by reading a work of man. I want the whole world to know that the Bible is sufficient. Those who market these materials must be called to repent and hold the Bible as enough. In Christ, Alex Malarkey. And indeed, it was a lot of malarkey, but most people, again, don't know the Bible to see the difference. 
And so sadly, Christian publishers are promoting books that go beyond what scripture warns. They are an error of what God writes at the end of the Bible. Listen to what Jesus said. He was having an encounter with a man by the name of Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee. There was approximately 6,000 Pharisees who walked on the earth when Jesus was here. He was a leader of the Pharisees, and he was helping him to understand how to go to heaven. And Jesus said, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now again, in the context, he's helping Nicodemus to understand his authority and the validity of why he can explain to Nicodemus how a man gets into heaven through the second birth. In essence, he's saying, listen, none of your earthly teachers can really teach you about heaven because none of them have been there. I've come from heaven. I've brought from real life testimony as the Son of God an explanation of how you get into heaven. A paraphrased translation paraphrased that verse by saying, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So Nicodemus, I can uniquely tell you about how to have this second birth. Even the Apostle Paul, when he is given a glimpse of heaven, God doesn't allow him to share it, unlike so many of these writers today. And of course, when an apostle writes about heaven, they write with absolute authority, but there are no apostles today. To have been an apostle, you had to have seen the risen Christ. You had to have been selected by him. And if that was true, you would have the signs, wonders, and miracles that only an apostle could do. So all of these books, please understand, all of these books are in violation of Revelation 22, 19 where they are adding to scripture or subtracting from it. So I hope to begin this morning a biblical tour of heaven. Let's start reading the first eight verses, Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, if you're new, there's a note-taking outline there in your bulletin. If you're live streaming, there's a place where you can print it out. And there are six characteristics of this place we call heaven that I want us to discern. We're going to use as our launching pad, Revelation 21, but we'll look at a number of passages from the Word of God. Six characteristics, six kinds of images that should come to your mind when you think about heaven. Number one there, heaven is a permanent place. Heaven is described as a permanent place place. We read here in the opening verse of chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. 
So it begins with the words, then I saw, a phrase used throughout the Revelation when John wants to signal a new section. So here he leaves the lake of fire at the end of chapter 20, 11 through 15, and he begins a new section by describing this new heaven and this new earth. So put it together chronologically. The rapture of the church is the next event that will take place. Nothing has to happen for that to come. And that's why the New Testament speaks of the imminent return of Christ. Those who deny a pre-tribulational rapture cannot speak of an imminent return. All kinds of things have to happen before Jesus can come back. Not true. He can come today for the church. After the church is removed, God will resume his program with Israel. And that seven-plus-year period known as the Great Tribulation period unfolds. Briefly after the tribulation... Christ physically comes back to the earth. He rules and reigns for a thousand years. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At the end of the thousand year reign, we will see heaven and earth flee because God will destroy it. A new heaven and a new earth will create, be created. But between the millennial reign and the new heaven and the new earth, there's what we studied last time, the great white throne judgment. And so this world has been ruined by sin. It's been soiled by sin. It's been filled with rebellion and unrighteousness. And so a new creation is absolutely essential. And what he's describing here in verse one is not some renovated, fixed up earth. In fact, this current earth that we're sitting on this morning is going to be obliterated. Now, sometimes verses like Matthew 19, 28 are used to describe a fixer-upper program. And typically, people who deny that there is a literal reign of Christ on the earth will use a verse like this. Let me read it to you. And Jesus said to them, to them who? To them, the 12 apostles. Truly, I say to you, that you, the twelve, who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall, shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now this verse has nothing to do with the eternal state. It has everything to do with the coming regenerated earth. And indeed, if you were here for the message on the millennium, God is going to rejuvenate this earth. Men will live upwards of a thousand years. The lion will lay down with the, with the, with the lamb and, and uh, the, the baby will play next to the cobra's nest and not be harmed. And so that's the time frame when Jesus sits on his throne. That's not what John is speaking of. Again, in verse one, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. This is totally new. It's not the current heaven and earth, and it's supported by the statement here, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So sometimes if you're not sure about someone's explanation or your own conclusion that you've come to concerning some doctrinal truth, let the scripture interpret scripture. Look for more scripture that speaks to that subject. Uh, and by the way, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament prophets speak of a brand new earth that is coming. Listen to these words from Psalm 102. Of old you founded the earth, the psalmist writes. Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And then the psalmist says, even they will perish, but you, the Lord, you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be changed. The Lord Jesus, by the way, also made it crystal clear 
that the current planet we are on is going to be gone. Listen to these words from Luke 21, 33. Heaven and earth will pass away. So God tells us it's going to pass away. But while it passes away, nonetheless, my words will not pass away. So he's drawing a contrast about the infallibility and the enduring nature of truth. The earth you're on is going to pass away, but my word will abide forever. Or listen to these words in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter plainly wrote, the heavens will pass, <clears throat> will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And so what should we be doing? We should be looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. We're not talking about a remake. We're talking about a total meltdown. This is indeed global warming at, at its peak. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. John and Peter used the Greek word kainos to modify earth and heaven. A new earth, a kainos earth, a kainos heaven. And the word means not just new in kind, but new in time. There are different words for new in the Greek New Testament. This word, kainos, means new in time, new in kind. A brand new spanking earth and heavens in which righteousness dwells. Now, when you think about heaven, remember it's used in three ways in the Bible. There's the first heaven, the atmosphere that you're breathing, the blue sky that you look up at. There's the second heaven that's outer space where you see the night sky and the stars and the moon and the various planets at times. And then there's the third heaven that Paul writes about, the very place where God himself <clears throat> dwells. So the first heaven you see by day, the second heaven you see by night, but the third heaven you see by faith because God has revealed truth to us about this third heaven. Now, there are numerous passages in the Bible that speak of this new heaven, this new blue sky, this new night sky, this new planetary universe, but it's distinctly different from the third heaven, the place where God is dwelling together. So at the second coming of Christ, after the thousand-year reign, it's going to be followed by a new heaven and a new earth. And John said, I saw heaven and earth flee. Why? Because it's gone. It's melted down. And he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And of course, that's the place, this new heaven and the new earth, that we are going to spend eternity in. It's not where your loved ones are today, obviously. It hasn't happened yet. They are in the Father's house. They are in the New Jerusalem. And so here in Revelation 21, he's giving us a picture of these future events. For the first heaven and the earth fled away, there's no longer any sea. So it's not surprising that there's not a huge amount of information concerning this coming new heaven and this new earth. Because we don't need to know but a limited amount at this time. But God gives a plethora of information about the place where your loved ones are this morning that knew Jesus. We do know, according to this verse, that in this new heaven and the new earth, notice there's no longer any sea. Now, again, sometimes you will read these books on heaven, and they're taking passages that deal with the millennial reign of the Messiah that have nothing to do with this new heaven and this new earth. For instance, Isaiah speaks of a sea. We call it the Dead Sea. It's also called the Salt Sea. It's dead because there's no life in it. And someday it will be fresh. Men will be able to fish in it. 
And he's describing that time during the millennial reign of the Messiah, where if a man lives just to be 100 years old, he'll be considered cursed. There's death in the millennium if you were here for that message. And so again, it's important that we picture this the way God describes it and that we don't blur these truths. There's no longer any sea. Now that's important. Think about the world that we live in. Uh, approximately three-fourths of the world is covered by salt water. And that's the context. This is the nature of this word sea. He's not describing freshwater lakes and rivers and streams. You have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. But he's describing the saltwater earth that we live on. It's like an antiseptic. It's the solution that God uses to purge and to cleanse all the pollutants that are poured into it. And through that process where fresh water comes, there's no longer a sea. Again, it doesn't mean there's no freshwater bodies. In fact, if you were with us in this series, we took a glance earlier at Revelation chapter 4, where you see God on his throne sitting by a sea of glass, and he describes this river, and obviously that river is cascading somewhere. So it doesn't mean there's no freshwater lakes or freshwater beaches. Uh, for that matter, it doesn't mean there's no waves. If God wants to create waves with no moon, he can certainly do that. He's omnipotent. He can do whatever he wants. But what I want you to see is that this is distinctly different. This is not some fix-up planet. This is a very different planet that he is describing. It's a brand new heaven and a new earth. There's no sun, the scripture says of it. In Revelation 21, 23, there's no moon. And I suppose by implication, I take it there's no stars. No landmarks, whatever, that are similar to the planet that we're sitting on today. And it's a real place. This is not just some eternal retirement home. This is a place where we will do some very, very important things. So it's unlike this world that's passing away. It's permanent. It's permanent. Heaven is a permanent place. Secondly, there in your outline, heaven is a prepared place. Heaven is a prepared place. Look now, if you will, at verse 2 of Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, if you have some loved ones that knew Jesus as their personal Savior, this is where they are. They are in the New Jerusalem. They are in the place that's described as the third heaven. There's a number of names that are given to describe this place. For instance, in John 14, Jesus speaks of the Father's house. Or as we just read from 2 Corinthians 12, the third heaven, the place of God's throne. It's described in the Revelation in 2 Corinthians and in Luke as the paradise of God. So there's the Old Testament paradise, but then there's the new covenant paradise. The name continues forward. It's called the kingdom of God. There's the kingdom of God within you. There's the kingdom of God on earth. But there's the kingdom of God where God himself dwells. It's also called the kingdom of Christ. It's called heaven in scripture. That's the most popular term that most of us know. It's called the New Jerusalem here and in Revelation 3, and it's also called the Holy City. So it's seen by John as coming down out of heaven and literally becoming the capital city of this eternal state, this new heaven and this new earth. Most of us at some time or another have sung that hymn, This Is My Father's World. It was written by a pastor, a Maltby Babcock. Uh, we read the uh, final verse in that hymn, 
which is the third verse in our hymnals. It was actually the 15th verse in his song. He was a long-winded preacher and hymn writer. I love the guy. Uh, This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven will be one. Many times we don't recognize what we're singing, but if you know the man's theology, he was premillennial, and he believed there was coming a time when heaven and earth would be brought together based on Revelation chapter 21. And so it's described here in verse 2, coming down out of heaven from God made ready. Now, the Greek verb, etoimazo, made ready, is sometimes translated to prepare because that's what it is. It's a preparation. Jesus said, I go and prepare, etoimazo, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where you are, uh, where I am, you may be also. In describing this coming city, the writer of the Hebrews said in Hebrews 11 that the Old Testament saints were desiring a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Isn't that interesting? There's a connection between looking into the future, setting your eyes on the things above, and God not being ashamed to be called their God. Why? Because if you understand Bible prophecy correctly, the one who has his hope focused on this purifies himself. So God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared at Toimazo a city for them. So you know if God has prepared a city known as heaven, known as paradise, known as my father's house, known as the third heaven, known as the new Jerusalem, it has to be spectacular. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, made ready. So the finishing touches, somehow there's going to be a final preparation as it descends out of heaven, made ready to sit on this new earth. And then we'll be able to sing the 15th stanza as a reality. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied in earth and heaven will be won. And so, sadly, sometimes when Christians, the average Christian, think about heaven, they only think of it as a place, well, you know, it's a good place, and we'll all be happy there. But most have never really considered the implications of this new heaven and this new earth. It's brand new. It's spanking brand new. Again, it's called the New Jerusalem. It's called the Golden City. Sometimes we refer to Jerusalem as the Eternal City, and rightly so, because while the current Jerusalem that you may visit will someday be obliterated, the name and the city of Jerusalem, which is viewed in Scripture as the center of the earth, will literally sit on a brand new earth. And so we're going to experience in the capital city. So again, people think of, well, the Father's house, but that's just the capital city of a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. The holy city, New Jerusalem, notice, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. We might call it downtown heaven. This is just the capital city. This is just what your loved ones who are home with the Lord, they're just experiencing a smidgen of what God has for us. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 029. 
Every word that Pastor Carl preached today was from the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Have you ever wondered how you can prove the Bible to be true? Well, in Dr. Brogy's book, How to Prove the Bible is True, Pastor Carl examines five crucial evidences that prove the Bible is the Word of God, and he will share with you how you can definitively and accurately convey these truths to others. With a donation of any amount, you can receive a copy of How to Prove the Bible is True. Just call Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 to receive your copy today. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.